but it's a curiosity as to where we are, what we are. Existence, the physical universe, is basically playful. Welcome to the Curious Humans podcast. I'm your host, Johnny Miller. Okay, welcome back. Thanks to everyone for all the kind words about the previous David White episode. Really appreciated. And this week, I'm recording this intro from a trampoline in Boulder, Colorado. So you might be able to hear sprinklers in the background. Um, But I'm bringing you this conversation with Leo Babauta, whose writing I've followed for almost a decade. The conversation was really wide ranging and we dove into his incredible Zen habits journey, what he learned about curiosity from his kids, his really compelling case for abandoning a goal-orientated mindset. And we covered ideas around embracing radical curiosity. And probably my favorite bit was his case against optimizing your life and how he felt that such a perfect life would kind of suck. So without further ado, I give you this conversation with Leo Babauta. So I'm here with Leo Babauta, the prolific writer of Zen Habits, who is joining me from the island of Guam, which is, I believe, 7,400 miles away. (laughs) Um, And we met a few months ago in Portland, and Leo was running a, a really powerful workshop on fearless training at the World Domination Summit. And I'm sure we'll get into that. But first, let's kick off with a question that I always love to start these conversations with. And the question is, were you exceptionally curious as a child? And could you maybe tell me a story about something that you were curious about, if, if so? Yeah, it's interesting. I, I think I was. Um, was I exceptionally curious as a child? I think I was. I, you know, one thing that I um, remember, I remember exploring, I actually lived here in Guam for a lot of my childhood and exploring the jungles, climbing these huge banyan trees and just loving the idea of exploring. And I would create my own worlds. Um, And so in that way, I was kind of just projecting my imagination onto the world and not necessarily... Uh, that that wouldn't be an example of curiosity, but I remember um, when I realized that other people had imagination. It wasn't just my imagination, but there were other people who were lost in theirs. And then one thing that would really catch my curiosity was um, how we could create a world of imagination together. And so mm. I would lead them on adventures through the jungles. Uh, we'd climb the tree and play like some kind of world up there. And leading people into a shared space of imagination was, I think, a great source of curiosity for me. I also remember when I discovered the, the imagination of authors and, and books, oh. I just like became this like um, just devoured books. I would go to the library yeah. and take out a stack and then come back a few days later and, and replace it with another <laughs> stack. Um, so I was just like, I, lo- I just, it was just like a mind blowing realization that there was like all these worlds of imagination out there um so yeah thanks for taking me back to that <laughs> uh that's that's amazing and it's funny how um books seem to be the catalyst for a lot of these conversations that i've had um from people like yourself and i think that absolutely is almost like the gateway to um it gives you more things to be curious about because you realize that there, there are all these other worlds and all these other perspectives and ways of seeing the world and books are almost like a gateway to that so that makes that makes so much sense. Um, and I had a thought. I, I remember during the during the workshop, you mentioned that you've got I, th- I think six kids, 
And I was wondering what what have they taught you about curiosity, like kind of great um, in in the in the last few years. That's a good question. You know, I think um, one thing I really love is just seeing the natural curiosity that kids have, and I think that we as adults, just as a system, mm -hmm. tend to uh, drive it out of them, <laughs> so mm -hmm. that we like. Yeah pound learning into them the things that we think that they should learn and until they just become so bored that they like okay mm. like i don't like learning anymore i, I mean i'm not saying mm. every kid's like that but i think that's a, a very common thing um, and, and yeah. one thing that i've seen is people who um, rediscover their curiosity as adults after having it driven out of mm. them because like as mm. a teacher like imagine having a, a classroom full of 25 30 kids um, who are all asking you like endless questions, like eventually you're yep. just going to like dr tell them not to ask questions, just, you know, <laughs> do what you're told. I mean, it's just like much more efficient. Right. Um, and so I think our, our school system, I don't know what it's like uh, where you live, but I know in, in the U S our system is very much like drill them, tell them what they need to know and not mm -hmm. have them ask questions as much. Um, and so one thing I've really discovered, my, I started out with my kids going to school, but I actually took them out of school and started unschooling really? them. Um, huh, that's amazing. The whole journey of unschooling is like deprogram um, what we teach them in school and allow them to just start to get into the natural state of their own curiosity. And like, what yeah. do they want to learn about? What are they interested in? And then let that drive yeah. them. And then as a parent, you're only, or as a teacher, your only uh, real role is to facilitate that natural curiosity and say, like, how yeah. can we, like, explore together? How can we create a, a shared space together? Or how can you just, like, let them go out and explore on their own, whether that's, like, out in the jungles or, like, in a book or on the Internet or whatever it is that they're really curious about. Um, and yeah. I see times when like their curiosity isn't being sparked. And so then I try and like find ways to just get a discussion going that sparks it, oh, but um, sure. you can't force it. So it's, it's a really interesting thing to explore is like how to spark curiosity, how to like, it's like a little tiny spark that you can like nurture and grow into a flame. Um, so that's, <laughs> yeah. it's yeah. a whole area of parenting that I'm like, I totally don't know what I'm doing, but it's, it's a lot of fun to explore. I, I absolutely love that. And particularly, um, I, I mean, I completely agree with you. I think that our schooling system, and it is the same in the UK, unfortunately, it's it's painful how the, you said the learning gets drummed into you, but it almost gets drummed out of you. I think kids are natural, um, just people, they, they, love to, they love to learn. And I think because we get taught to prioritise um, giving the right answers over, like you say, asking really good questions, um, I think that we almost have this idea that when we get to 18 or 21 and we leave the education system that we just stop learning and it's like our learning period in life is over and we now go into like doing and working mode and I think that we need to exactly as it sounds like you've been doing almost deprogram ourselves and our kids and this system to just um, ignite that natural inherent spark of learning um, and just like like pour fuel on the fire of their own curiosity um, which I think ki which I think kids have and um, is and is your, your daughter's in Tokyo Japan at the moment as well so she must have like you must have kind of poured enough curiosity on that fire to <laughs> get her to, to go to Japan 
kids. Um, since okay. basically elementary school, we took her out of elementary school. She's now 18. No, she just turned 19. Mm-hmm. And she really wanted to get into, like, she's into Japanese anime and manga. Mm-hmm. And she really wanted to be a, an artist and, like, explore Japan. And so it's, like, a huge world of uncertainty for her. And so we just kept encouraging her, go go and do it. And we took mm-hmm. her over there to kind of help guide her into that because it's always helpful to have someone holding your hand at first. But then mm-hmm. just, like, mm-hmm. shoved her away and, like, you can do this. <laughs> <laughs> and, of course, that's, like, incredibly scary, but... Um, yeah, she's absolutely exploring her own uh, journey right now and her own um, her own path into like, who am I? What do I want to do in this world? What what makes me passionate? What drives me? What gets me up in the morning? Like, how do I like manage my finances? It's like just a lot <laughs> of exploring to do. Um, one little real quick thing, just um, because I want to be fair to like teachers, I kind of like dissed on teachers <clears throat> a little bit. Um, but I know a lot of really great teachers who actually do spark curiosity. But I really believe that the system is geared against those kinds of teachers, and they have to kind of rebel against the system of like, like you know, drilling in and, and driving. Um, and so they, um, yeah, they find their own ways to explore um, how to do that in in the school system, but it's not set up for that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I completely agree. And I think there's there's some interesting movements with I, I had a tour of the Green School in Bali and they have this really interesting system where they they theme each term or each year around something like trees. And they'll look at trees um, from the perspective of biology, from geography, from um, physics, from all these different perspectives. And it's like something that kids already love. And they just they're taught to be curious about this one thing and do projects and then give talks about it. And it's such a just a more natural and fluid way way of learning and I feel like it's catching on in lots of little small pockets but it's going to be a while before like the mainstream schooling education system catches up because it's just so big and there's so much bureaucracy um but a- anyway I, I feel like we could talk about this for <laughs> quite quite a long time um I'd love to just um for any of the readers or the readers the listeners who aren't familiar with with your work and your amazing story of pretty much turning your life around from quitting smoking getting out of debt and running ultra marathons um could you well okay one one ultra marathon that's still that's still a big deal um could you maybe share a little bit of the the zen habits origin story and like how you came to be here now yeah so um for those who haven't um aren't familiar with it you can imagine yourself as me uh, more than 10 years ago, this is in 2005 on Guam, I had a, um, a job in the government, um, a job that I did not like, unfulfilled. I was also deeply in debt and with lots of really bad spending habits, um, lots of bad health habits. I was a lot heavier, about 60, 70 pounds heavier. I don't know how many stones that is, but <laughs> it was definitely uh, like another small person heavier than, than I am now. Um, and just addicted to junk food. I couldn't start exercising. I was a smoker. And so just a lot of, lot of stuff that I wanted to change. And one thing at the core of it all was I was deeply unhappy with myself and how I was conducting my life. And so I felt stuck. I didn't know how to change. I kept trying to like stick to an exercise program. I started a whole bunch of diets. 
did everything from Atkins to the, you know, uh, South Beach diet to a whole bunch of other ones. And, um, and nothing stuck. I couldn't stick to anything. And so it was like, well, these are all successful plans. So the common factor is me. Like I'm failing. Mm. And so I just kept mm. feeling really bad about myself. And that was like a really dark place for me where I just was failing um, personally, failing as a father, not providing mm. for my family, deeply in debt, hiding from creditors. I would, like wasn't answering my phone and stuffing the mail into a drawer, not looking at it. So that's where I mm. was. And the turning point came, uh, of course, there's always like a, a dark turning point where I like realized I was killing myself. I was like letting my family down. And a turning point came when I decided I had to change just one thing. And I decided to quit smoking, made a promise to my wife and daughter and poured my entire being into that one change. I said, I'll do all the other ones later, but this one thing mm -hmm. I'm going to try and do, I did all the research, did all the, followed every single plan that I could think of, joined a group mm -hmm. online and committed to them as well and learned from them. And so social accountability mm -hmm. became a big part of it. Um, I meditated uh, as a way to like relieve stress and deal with stress um, and ur urges. I learned about triggers and I, I journaled and I uh, just, just did everything that I could and it worked. Um, and it was just like, I felt so amazing that I like made that one change. And I started to apply some of the same things towards running uh, where I couldn't, couldn't even run for 10 minutes. Um, eventually I ran a 5k, like just slowly one step at a time started going longer and longer at the end of the 5K, I said, oh, I'm going to run my first marathon. Like, obviously, I can run a marathon if I can run a 5K, right? <laughs> I didn't realize how hard it would be and how dumb it would be to commit to doing it a year later. Um, it's, not, it's not enough time to be running to, to run a marathon. But I said, oh, I can do it. And so th that was a, um, the first in a mini uh, series of uh, over-optimistic uh, commitments that I've made. <laughs> I still make them today. Um, so that was uh, yeah, the marathon. I started changing my diet. I became a vegetarian um, for health reasons and then eventually ethical reasons. Um, I, and now I'm a vegan. I started getting out of debt and I had to get my wife's help in this one. And we started to slowly change our financial habits and get out of debt um, one mm -hmm. step at a time. Started waking earlier, started writing, stopped procrastinating as much. I eventually quit that job. Um, started a blog after running my first marathon and um, the blog took off. Uh, I like poured myself into the blog a series of, that was another of a series of things that I've poured myself into one at a time. Um, wrote an ebook that helped me to finish getting out of debt, quit my day job um, and sold a book um, at the end of the first year of Zen habits, uh, the blog I had gained a, a massive following, um, 27,000 subscribers at the end of the first year, and then eventually wow. a lot more than that. Um, and so, yeah, um, it's just a massive ride of success, but it all started with changing one habit at a time. And I had lost, I lost a whole bunch of weight, changed um, pretty much everything about myself. Um, and at the center of all of it, um, I decluttered my life, started simplifying. At the center of all of it has been mindfulness so that I just happened to stumble upon um, meditation and Zen and um, 
And when I started Zen Habits, I titled it Zen. I knew nothing about Zen at the time. <laughs> it was just like a cool name that I thought, you know, like let's let's try and put habits and and simplicity and mindfulness together. And but at the center of all of it has been mindfulness. Even when I was running, when I was quitting smoking, when I was getting out of debt, it was a, a lot of uh, learning about myself, learning about the self doubt, the beating myself up, all of the stories that I have about myself, all of the habits of running to distractions of lashing out at my, you know, people that I know, uh, that I love, um, all of these things, I, I started to learn more about myself and this is where curiosity comes in. It was mm. a, developing a deep sense of curiosity about what was going on inside rather than completely ignoring it and trying to go like everywhere outside. Um, and that's to me, the real story of Zen habits isn't like all these successes along the way, but really, the successes of continuing to go inside, even when I didn't like what I was seeing. Um, right. Yeah. yeah. So that's that's been a profound transformation for me. Is just the courage and willingness and curiosity to go inward and stay there and continue to explore there. Like there's just vast worlds in there that I'm still discovering, and still a lot mm -hmm. of changes um, to be made. But um, really loving that exploration. That's that's so powerful. Um, and I was I was reading one of your recent blog posts, and there was there was a quote that was, uh, just I've written it down here. It's <clears throat> when you're feeling fear, instead of turning away from it or trying to escape and avoid it, try turning towards it and actually allow yourself to feel the fear. We don't often want to feel it, but we have a greater capacity to feel fear than we give ourselves credit for. And I've been thinking about this idea, I think I, I maybe mentioned in your workshop as well, of, of radical curiosity, that for me is this, this idea of like having the courage to be curious amidst this great discomfort. And does that kind of ring true to you? That sounds a lot like kind of what you've been describing along your path. Yeah, I love that you've discovered that independently and are bringing that to whatever I offer. Um, yeah, that's just, that's just perfectly put. Um, it's just... I think I think part of the um, not willing to, to turn towards is um, part part of it is assuming we already know, right? Like I already know everything that's going on. I know what's going on, so I just need to you know basically you don't need to pay attention to something if you already know it. So we categorize mm -hmm. ourselves as known, and we have to like go out and explore everything outside of ourselves. Right. Yeah. yeah. But actually, there's so much inside of us that we don't know. And fear is, is one of those, like, okay, fear, fear is bad. I need to get away from it. I don't like it. Fear is bad. I know yep. that's categorized as known. But actually, there's so much more to fear um, and, and everything else that goes inside of us. But fear is just like this really interesting um, phenomenon that, you know, like it's natural. It's, it's evolutionary. Um, you can't escape it. You can't, like, shut it mm -hmm. off. And it controls so much of what we do um, that mm. turning towards it with curiosity, this radical curiosity that you're proposing, I, I love it because it's it's not just like turning towards something we hate and just like punishing ourselves by like being with it. Like I think that's what a lot of us feels when we turn towards something like fear or anger, that it's just like, this is something we don't mm -hmm. want and we want to get away from. It's just like this distaste, this like really huge discomfort. But curiosity, a radical curiosity of turning towards, it's actually a really positive 
um, connotation that you're you're adding to it that you like you really want to know more about it. And curiosity is a mm-hmm. a beautiful positive thing that we can we can explore the world around us and and in us um, and really just want to know more. Um, just want to be open to not to the idea of not knowing. I I don't know everything. Mm-hmm about fear, about mm-hmm. what's going on inside of me. And I can just say, I don't know what, what is this? You know, <laughs> like, and that's there. Mm-hmm. You can do that with a smile when you're curious, when you like, don't want to, to face something. You can like have this uh, attitude <laughs> of like shirking away from it. And I, I know people might not be watching the video of this, but I'm like, like physically <laughs> turning away, like with a, a face on my, uh, I mean, uh, like a face of distaste on my face. Um, and it's just like, that's kind of the attitude that we take. It's like, we don't want to look at something because it's distasteful and it's like uncomfortable, but curiosity is like turning towards it with like an open body, an open mind, an open heart, and just be like, I really want to know more about you. And that I think is a friendliness towards our experience that we don't offer towards it. Like, just imagine if you had a, a friend in front of you who um, was giving you something that you didn't necessarily wasn't the way that you normally would do things. Right. And you turned away from them and said, I don't like that. Um, like that mm-hmm. wouldn't be a good relationship. You wouldn't have a good friendship there, but if you turn toward them and be like, okay, well, what's going on here? I'm, I'm curious to know more about you. All of a sudden that person would feel more accepted. They would be willing to share more. Um, they would feel more connected mm-hmm. to you and that would be a much mm-hmm. better relationship. And I think it's the same thing that we have with ourselves and with our experience is that we don't have a good relationship with ourselves and our experience. Most of the time I'm generalizing, of course, Mm -hmm. but we turn away from Mm -hmm. it. We don't want to see it. We don't want to experience it. We are, we're rejecting it and turning towards it with that curiosity is a friendliness. It's a willingness to be with. It's a willingness to just Mm -hmm. be like, I don't know everything about you. Tell me more. Um, And just like you would with a good (laughs) friend. And I, I like that. Curiosity also has a gentleness, has a warmth, and it has just this genuineness that um, is, mm. is like perfectly encapsulates the attitude that we can have towards our fear and pretty much everything in our experience. So yeah, well put. Mm. Yeah, I, I absolutely love that. And something that you said about um, we think of our own selves and our bodies as this like known entity. I think that's that's so true and something that um i've had a fairly kind of fairly intense year and i've done a couple of um 10 day silence vipassana meditation retreats and when you're sitting in silence for that period of time and you're kind of looking inwards you're like holy crap like there is so much going on inside our brains and our bodies and our minds that we're just not aware of 99% of the time because we don't we don't make the time to listen and we don't pay attention to it and for me, that was such, it was almost like the portal into a deeper curiosity. Cause I'm like, if I can spend a few days sitting and like this much comes up, like what else, what else is there? And it's, um, it's so, so interesting. So I, I guess kind of leading on from, from, from Zen Habits, how did this community of readers that you built evolve into what I guess is now your current mission of helping others push into that uncertainty and embrace this kind of um, approach to, to life? And, and do you still feel like uncertainty is at the root of all of it as well? Absolutely. Yeah. It's, it's a, uh, it's a huge, it's, yeah, it's definitely a, I would say the root of what I do. Um, so 
Zen habits in the beginning was a lot about productivity and simplifying your life and ha- changing your mm-hmm. habits. Um, and so I wrote a lot of books and did courses on those things. Um, and I also did a program. This was actually the start of the, the, the new path was a program where I, I still do it, where I'm helping people change their habits one at a time. And it's called Sea change mm-hmm. And it's slow one, cha- one habit change at a time where I'll give you a set of instructions. And if you follow those instructions, you'll have a new habit. And that sounds like certain and easy and doable. And it is. A lot of people have actually succeeded at it, but there were also a larger number who didn't. And so though I actually get really curious about why they didn't. I'm like, well, here's the instructions. I did it. It worked. This person did it. It worked. Why did it work for you guys, right? And so I, I was really curious. I started asking them. and I started working with them on a closer you know, one-on-one basis, coaching some of them, just because I really wanted to dive into this. and. As I, I, I would give them like, okay, you didn't, that didn't work. Let's try this. So I give them some new instructions. Didn't work. Mm. Um, and sometimes they would just start to ghost me because they didn't want to face the coach who was like, you know, give, you know, like who was the source and the witness of, of their failure. Um, sure. so yeah, they would just ghost me and like not even talk to me. And the more that I explored <laughs> this with them, like I really started to understand that there were some deep uncertainties that we have about ourselves. Pretty much all of us Mm -hmm. have deep uncertainties about ourselves, deep uncertainties that we have about our ability to relate to others, to be able to stick to something, to be able to handle anything, whether we're going to fail at anything. And it's really the source of why we procrastinate. It's the source of why we don't stick to a habit. Or if we fall off the wagon of a habit, why don't we don't just start again? which is like the simple answer. Like I, I was doing it for 21 straight days. Then I missed a couple days because of whatever reason. Why don't you just start again, right? Well, the, that's a simple um, solution, but there is a deeper answer to why we don't do that. And it's because we have right. a lot of uncertainty about ourselves. And so I started to look into this, right. like I have it. It's not that I'm, I'm, fr- I'm judging them and that I'm free of it. I have a lot mm-hmm. of uncertainty and, you know, there's a lot of messiness behind the scenes that, you know, people don't realize about my journey that I shared with you guys. Like, it sounds really great because I did all these things. No, it was actually way messier than that. And I have a lot of <laughs> uncertainty about myself when it comes to being able to stick to things or deal with um, challenges. And so I could see that it was still in me and it was in others. And so I tried to, I started to explore ways to deal with and to, um, to work with this uncertainty about ourselves. And mm. I really, the more that I worked with it um, and I started bringing mindfulness techniques to it, the more I worked with it, the more I realized it was at the core of like everything that I was trying to do when it, whether you want to like simplify your life or if you want to travel, if you want to get healthy and fit, if you want to like work on your finances, be more productive, whatever it is that you want to do, uncertainty Mm -hmm. sits at the heart of it. And if you can work with that, you've now unlocked um, a way of working that will help you to deal with like everything in your life. And so I'm like, okay, well, this is really the key, but how do you work with Mm. it? And I felt deep Mm. uncertainty about how to do that. (laughs) Ironically, (laughs) of course, right? Um, And about my ability to help people to do that, because this is not, I've, you know, I have some set ways of working with people. This is not it. And so I started to explore different ways. I started doing in-person things like the workshop that, that you went to. And that became like a powerful thing. Like, whoa, 
working with people in person was way more powerful than like writing over the internet, you know, yeah. like who would have guessed, yeah. right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> and then like working with video, working with people in small groups, like online groups, one-on-one -on -one coaching, um, all of this stuff turned, started to be, um, reveal itself as like different modalities that I could explore um, for mm. dealing with uncertainty. And of course, there's still books and online courses that you take without any kind of um, personal one-on-one uh, -on -one or group kind of stuff. But um, I really believe that the power of like the interpersonal dynamic is the way that we deal with uncertainty because that right there is filled with uncertainty. So it's just stepping into a conversation with someone like you and I are doing right now is filled with uncertainty. And being willing to do that already shows like a courage to turn towards with radical curiosity, I believe. Mm. At least a little bit, right? Like it's just like a slight opening. Yeah, and that slight absolutely. opening is where you can where someone like me can just like dive in and like, okay, we have a slight opening. <laughs> let's let's get in there and get messy. But if you are not willing to even engage with someone, you already yeah. have you already know everything. You already know all the things that are wrong with the world and everybody else. And you're not willing to come into a conversation, then you're not going to be able to do any of this work. So if you come into a conversation, you're ready. Um, and that's the people who are who are doing that. People like you who are not only doing this conversation one on one with me, but going to places like Portland, Oregon, and like like just <laughs> surrendering to some crazy guys' um, meditations and and uh, <laughs> exercises. Um, that's those are the people who I love working with, and so that's that's how I find my people. Hmm. Well, this this really touches on something that I've been thinking about a lot recently. Um, I've just started, well, I'm almost midway through now, leading a a ten week course called the Startup Tribe in London with forty aspiring founders. So it's it's really exciting. But something that I've been thinking about a lot as we kind of deliver this deliver this content on this on this curriculum is. There's a quote from a Papua New Guinea tribe that is, knowledge is only a rumor until it lives in the muscle. And this is this, I, I think we have all of these kind of intellectual ideas, which might be right, but the challenge is like, how can you, how can you put them into practice? How can you go from the head to the heart? And how can you actually um, live these ideas and, and have, or have them live in the muscle? And so I'd love to ask you, how, how have you approached training people's uncertainty muscles and and what have you noticed kind of in the process or, or what what advice might you give other people who are trying to um take some of these like intellectual ideas that they get but haven't quite been able to live? yeah yeah it's funny i mean that's that quote is so right on there's also another side of it that i that i disagree with but the uh, the main okay. part of the quote which is yeah you have to you have to live it you have to practice it right um, and you won't know mm -hmm. it until then. And I think a lot of people, like, they can listen to this podcast and they're like intellectually understand curiosity and uncertainty and mindfulness. But until mm -hmm. you actually do it, and so this is uh, something that I learned about learning. I, I got really curious about learning um, at one point. Mm -hmm. And we learn best not just by like reading or receiving information, but first by testing ourselves before we get the information. So you're like you're right. creating like you're creating like kind of holes to put the information into like oh I yeah, don't know anything sure. about Papua New Guinea uh, I'd like to go yeah. find that out yeah, yeah, yeah. right <laughs> um, and so then you read or watch something about Papua New Guinea that starts to fill in the holes then you retest oh. yourself afterward and you see where the new holes are right 
Yeah. Um, and I think that's true of, of things like curiosity and uncertainty is that when you yep. practice something, you think, oh, Leo gave me all the information about uncertainty and I'm practicing with it. Uh, but then as I practice, I start to see things that come up that I didn't realize, some issues that will come up that I didn't realize were issues. And so then you're like, oh, there's something new that I have have to like answer here. And that's when you might come back to, to Leo and say, hey, I'm having trouble here. I'm struggling with this. And then I might give you a new practice to do. And so you're going to do this practice to deal with that new thing. And then something else comes up. And so until you start to walk the walk, walk down this path, you're not going to see like all of the little details, all of the little pitfalls and um, wonderful things about it as well. Um, mm. so you have to practice, right? So what I've, what I've learned, I, I started a new program called fearless training on Patreon where you can join me and I'll give you some steps to do is first of all, you have to commit yourself to something, right? Um, and I like it when you commit yourself to like a group of people, like, first of all, these are people who you want to help. You want to serve in this world. So you're helping these people who are starting doing startups in in um, in the UK, and they're they're your they're like one of your tribes, right? They're the people that you're trying to serve, and you're doing it out of love for them, and so you feel this deep love, and that's our why, right? So you have to have a, a why when you're going to put yourself into the fire. Uh, that might not be the right metaphor because it feels really bad <laughs> to be in fire, but if you're going to put yourself into the fire of training, you have to have a deep reason to do that. So that would be the first one: is have a why. Commit yourself to the training. Commit yourself to others. It could be to that same group of people or maybe some other people who are doing this training with you. Uh, maybe it's just one best friend who, who's going to like do the training with you. Commit yourself to others because if you don't, you're just going to let yourself off the hook. Um, mm. Training on your own is actually an advanced practice that I don't recommend. People like go to the, like, the World Series or the Super Bowl to use American sports. <laughs> That's the World Cup. <laughs> Um, without ever having played like, like youth soccer, you know, or youth football, um, like start in the beginning with, with other people holding you in the space. Um, so that would be another one. Um, and then commit yourself to doing something every single day. And there is where you're going to start to see the rubber meeting the road. That's where you're going to start to get the muscle memory, but you're also going to see where your patterns are that get in the way. We all have patterns that get in the way of this training. So there'll be self-doubts. There will be like the rebel in you who doesn't want to stick to something every single day and wants to go and do something else and be free. There'll be the person who like is like meticulous and controlling. Um, but then when things uh, go off track, then they're like the meticulous and controlling thing starts to become get in the way. So there's all these uh, patterns that we all have. Um, some of them are stronger for others and they will come up for you in this training. As you start doing the training every single day, something will come up. You'll like, like not want to do it and delay it and go and do Facebook and Instagram instead. Um, and so all of these things will come up. And when that comes up, your patterns are starting to emerge. And so imagine you're like doing a yoga pose and like all of a sudden, like it starts to feel really uncomfortable and, you don't want to do it anymore, right? Um, you're, you're in this pose and your mind, the patterns in your mind start to come up where you want to get out of it. You want to run away from it. You want to shut your heart down to it. You don't want to be curious anymore, right? You don't want to mm. be in this uncertainty anymore because it's so uncomfortable. So in that mm. moment, 
you have an opportunity to change your patterns from what you normally do, which is run, avoid, complain, lash out, procrastinate, all of these things, distract yourself, comfort yourself with food and porn and video games and YouTube. <laughs> Those are your usual patterns. In this moment, you have a, an opportunity to be curious about what it's like to stay in the discomfort and uncertainty. And you, you practice this with me in the workshop where we held our hands over our heads and like you start mm -hmm. to feel some uncomfort mm -hmm. and you're actually discomfort and you're actually staring into the eyes of someone else. And so there might be yep. some discomfort there as well. And in that moment, I invite you to stay and be curious about what it's like to, to not um, run, to not shut your heart down, to stay open out of love, out of curiosity, um, and to hold the pose. And that is mm -hmm. actually radical curiosity, holding the pose when you want to mm -hmm. shut down and run. Um, and, mm -hmm. and so I think that's, that is the magic moment when we can start to shift. So that's what I've learned. And I am still exploring that with curiosity on my own and with others. And I actually really, really love learning about this. So um, that magic moment of starting to shift, of being uh, able to be curious in that moment, um, I know nothing about it and I uh, can't wait to find out more. Huh. There's so, so much that I want to, jump on there um the the phrase hold the pose is something that i've almost kept as like a little mantra since that workshop and there's been so many times when i've just yeah it's just kind of come up and it's like stay there hold the pose <laughs> don't 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 run away um there was there was something that you mentioned about um your approach to learning that i absolutely loved uh you, you kind of said how you would almost create these curiosity or these holes of your own um, ignorance or i i think about it sometimes in terms of expanding my own Kind of circles of ignorance and and you you were talking about yourself in the third person leo and it made me think of um i'm reading leonardo da vinci's autobiography and he would create this he, he'd keep a journal of all of the things that he didn't know and he would write them down as as questions in pages and pages and then just like he would want to go out and seek people out to try and find out the answers and to me, that's such a powerful thing. Like we think if we if we want to learn something, we need to go and take the course immediately. But maybe it's a case of like really getting clear on all the things that we don't know and finding out where our like um where our epistemic curiosity kind of pulls us towards the strongest. That's so that's so interesting. Um can I can I um, can I pause you on that one for a second? Because yeah, sure. um I see myself in, in in that a lot. I'm actually named after Da Vinci, so um, my full name huh. is Leonardo. Um, so yeah, that, well, that that makes sense. So much sense. <laughs> but there, so you can imagine we can if we all did that, like had this list of all the things we don't know and that we want to know more about. Mm -hmm. There's a part of us that will take that curiosity and this not knowing, which can can also feel uh, can also bring up anxiety of uh, the anxiety of not knowing and wanting to go out and and just know it all. Um, and so we can fill our, we can go out and try and fill ourselves with information, um, and just get all the books we can do all the research online that we can sign up for courses, buy, you know, order things on Amazon. And so all of a sudden we have like all of this reading and watching to do, um, and we're like pouring ourselves into it. And there's nothing wrong with that at all. I've done it many, many times. Um, but, uh, that isn't the only way to react to that feeling. So um, I wanted to invite people to a ra radical curiosity about not knowing. 
um, of just stopping mm. for even a few moments of just saying, okay, there's all this stuff that I want to know about. And we can, when you get into a new subject, like as you start to realize how much you don't know, it can be overwhelming. And one, another reaction is to shut down to that and say, it's too much. Mm -hmm. I, I'll never learn it all. I don't want to know it. Mm -hmm. um, and then you move on. Um, or, and the other very common reaction is just trying to know everything and just trying to like, uh, you know, fill in that list of all the things you don't know about. Right. But the other yeah. one is just to stay there in this radical curiosity of just like, what does it feel like to not know? And just to admit, I don't know something and it can feel groundless and it can feel um, very uncertain and unstable. And it's just like, Oh, I don't know everything. And it's the same thing. If you, if let's say you don't know how to dance and you walk into a dance class and you have to start dancing, like all of a sudden, like everyone else around you knows everything and you're the newbie. Anytime where you have to be a newbie and just like walk in and show your complete ignorance. If you just stop there mm -hmm. in this not knowing, again, you can shut down and walk out of the class. You can like try to know everything and really control it. Or you can just stay there and just be like, what is it like to not know? And I think there's something magical in that of just staying in this not knowing, accepting that we actually will always have a state of not knowing. Even if we acquire and acquire, acquire knowledge, we'll still be in a huge state of not knowing. There will always be way more out there to learn than we can learn. And so this is a permanent state actually is not knowing. And if we can just accept it and be with it and be friendly with it and be curious about not knowing, I think that is a change in our relationship with that. That doesn't mean we can't, we don't go out and acquire knowledge. Like, of course, we're curious, we're going to, we're going to explore, but also we don't have to get rid of the feeling. We don't have to, we don't have to feel anxiety about it. And we don't have to shut down when we feel overwhelmed by that feeling. So I'm just giving an invitation to people just to, to pause there if you ever get into that state, which we all do, I think, um, on a regular basis. Yeah, that's that's so powerful. And I think for me, kind of, I've I've realized that it's it's almost it it's an act of vulnerability to say, especially in a group of other people to say, like, I, I don't know. And to, to not be sure about something. Or I think I, I see this in the startup tribe as well. People are terrified of asking what they feel like might be silly questions. And therefore kind of looking just looking foolish in front of other people and <clears throat> this reminds me of um one of the things that that leonardo da vinci wrote down <clears throat> in his like journal of questions was why doesn't a woodpecker get a headache when it's banging its head on a tree right which which you just think is is such a ridiculous question right but he almost had the courage to like write down a completely stupid question and it turned out um um, biologists later figured out that the, the the woodpecker's tongue wraps its wraps itself around the brain as like a protective shield to kind of protect the woodpecker's brain. And so he actually came to this amazing insight um, just through asking a silly question. And I think that most of my kind of um, more interesting insights have come from asking those questions that feel silly to voice, whether that's with other people or to my journal or things like that. So... Yeah, I just I just thought that was super interesting. Yeah, um. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> just admit you don't know, right? And that, there's a, like a, a big uncertainty about yourself that you might feel mm -hmm. when you admit to others that you don't know. And I actually, that would yeah. be another invitation is go in front of a group of other people, like at that startup um, uh, group that you, you, you formed. 
just go there and just admit like there's a lot of stuff I don't know and you know I I'm just gonna admit that to you guys because <laughs> uh, it's like we we have this side that we try and pre present to our to each other right like oh I'm I'm this like startup founder I'm doing all these great things um, you know here's all my accomplishments and my resume um, but yep. but honestly that's that's just a front right like just to drop that front and say be radically honest where you're just saying honestly I don't know. Um, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know. I don't yep. know if I can do this. I don't know how this is going to turn out. But and the ironic thing is that these startup founders who are doing that actually already have taken um, a leap into great uncertainty. Anyone who's doing a startup, anyone who's writing a book or a blog, anyone who's done a YouTube channel or is starting a nonprofit organization, running anything, um, putting themselves into any kind of new situation is already taking a, a leap of radical curiosity leap into radical uncertainty of groundlessness they've already made they've already done that um at least once and probably many many times probably every single day um they've done that and then um then in another situation they shut themselves down right they won't admit they don't know and um and that's normal that's natural i'm not judging because i do it as well but we can look at ourselves there and be like, oh, actually, I've done it all these other times. Why not do it as well here? All these things that worked for me here, like when I started a startup, I decided to leap into the great unknown. When I'm in this group, why not do the same thing, right? Um, and just mm -hmm, admit mm -hmm. that I don't know. <laughs> Absolutely. And I, no, just what, what came into my mind was almost the other side of the coin, I think, is that when we do sit with those questions and sit with the uncertainty, I think that some part of our subconscious knows more than we give it credit for and whenever i've kind of had decisions to make or if there's questions that i'm unsure about if i'm able to almost sit with a question like i'm kind of dropping it into a well and then paying attention to what comes to the surface sometimes thoughts or answers will arise or even maybe maybe i realize that i'm asking the wrong question and it's like reframing that question but i think that um i know that i spent a lot of my 20s i'm, I'm 30 now so <laughs> i can say that my, my 20s um kind of seeking out these these mentors and these gurus and, and look always looking for the answers for things without appreciating that often a lot of the the answers to the the real questions I kind of already had inside to some extent um it just requires like you say being sit like sitting with the question and sitting with that uncertainty and paying attention to what what arises yeah you um, gave yourself space I think that's that's a key element there that a lot of people don't do it's like giving yourself a little bit of mm -hmm. space to just sit there without it without the answer I mean like you said it's mm -hmm. in you already maybe um, and not mm -hmm. not hundred percent of the time but there it could be in you mm -hmm. and you can just mm -hmm. give yourself space to sit there and just like in the space of not knowing space of curiosity and just see what comes up and sometimes you'll have a moment of clarity um, and you'd be like, oh, I had the answer all along. And then sometimes it'll just be a question that comes up and you'd be like, okay, now I need to pursue that question. And that's where the answer will come up, right? Yeah. Um, and then sometimes you, you'll you just be completely blank. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but I still think there's there's a, I think what you just demonstrated like is this great trust in yourself and whatever comes up, there's an intuition, there maybe is this um, intuitive knowing Maybe there's knowledge that you've gained just from collectively soaking in every all the gurus and books that you've talked about, and it just mm -hmm. needs to like 
you know, gestate and like bubble up and then finally something, mm. the wisdom that that's like the collective wisdom of everybody else plus the inherent wisdom that's you will, will come up. Mm. But whatever it is, whatever is, because we don't know what's going on in there, <laughs> whatever <it> is <laughs> that comes up, you have like a trust that something will come up. Um, even if it's just a question, even if it's a blankness, but a lot of times it's actually an answer, right? Um, yeah. And that trust is is something that most of us don't afford to ourselves. And I think it's, it's amazing that you're demonstrating that. Awesome. Um, so there's a couple of other things that I was super curious to touch on. And one of them was, I, I remember watching a, um, <clears throat> I think it was called a no holds barred debate with you and Tim Ferriss on the idea of, abandoning goals which I feel in my opinion I feel like you clearly won <laughs> um, I think many people kind of myself included feel that letting go of goals is is certainly a scary and uncomfortable thing and it's, it's completely against the mainstream culture and a lot of people are like why would you even want to let go of goals like goals are great goals give me this like reason to get up in the morning um so what what in your like firstly kind of why why did you come to this idea and what would be a potential upside to like ditching the five-step plans and fixating on these 12-month goals what what kind of brought you to this yeah i think uh well first of all to, in fairness to tim i think we found in that conversation a lot of common ground it was just like <laughs> yeah, yeah, different yeah. ways of coming at it um That's true. but yeah we didn't we didn't have enough disagreement in the end but uh yeah <laughs> but how i came about it was i used to be really into goals i i, I mastered a lot of systems with like where it came to goals and um what I did was I planned out this year, like all the, these things I was going to achieve and then uh, everything that I was going to do each month and then everything I was going to do, break it down by a week and then just what I was going to do today to further my weekly goals, right? And so I started doing that and I really, like, I was really on top of it. I was like nailing this plan and then mm. things would come up that just disrupted it. Like out of my control, mm. right? completely out of my control. Uh, be like waking me up to the fact that I'm not in control of the world. Uh, that'd be one. And then other things would come up that would be like an incredible opportunity. And I realized yep. through that just happening over and over that if I followed stuck rigidly to my plan, I'd be passing up every single opportunity that came my way that I couldn't, you mm -hmm. can't know what's going to come up, what mm -hmm. doors are going to open, who you're going to meet, mm -hmm. what conversations you're going to have, what ideas are going to bubble up. Um, through the course of your learning and and as you start to walk the path you can't know what other paths will will start to open up right and so as I walk this like I was rigidly trying to stick to this plan I started realizing I was ignoring everything else in favor of this thing that I had come up with way back when I didn't know anything like I came up with this plan <laughs> before I knew any of this stuff and yet right. like I am under the some kind of illusion that this plan is still the best plan for me. And so like I started to realize that halfway through the year and I'm like, okay, why am I sticking to this plan when it's obviously not the best plan anymore and it totally ignores everything that I've learned, all these new opportunities, all these disruptions that have come up. And, um, and I just decided to go with the flow of it. And so I started going mm -hmm. with what I was passionate about, what I was curious about, all of these things that started, opportunities that came up, new people that I met and, um, and so I just started to, to flow with that and I started making plans around that and all those plans started getting disrupted. Anyway, by the end of the year, I just like 
had to surrender to life because it was like, I, I can't control any of this stuff. <laughs> I can't even control myself on a day-to-day basis. So I was just like, okay, let's surrender. Yeah. And what, if this doesn't work and like, I'm the master of like putting things into action. Um, if I can't do it, like I can't expect anyone else to do it. And I'm writing about goals and, and productivity systems. And it's total mm. bullshit, you know, <laughs> like <laughs> total bullshit. And like, I don't believe it anymore. And so what right. else is there? Um, and that gave me, it's basically the woodpecker question. Like, <laughs> like uh, you know, what, what, if this, this isn't working, then like, what, what is, what does work? And, um, and it was just a childlike question for me that I was like, oh, like, actually, I don't know. I don't know what works. And so I started to explore it. Like, what, it hap- what happens if I don't have goals? Okay, I could try that. I could try this. Um, and honestly, I'm still exploring without knowing the answer. I still use, I, what I found is goals can still be useful. More as like, okay, here's something to shoot for. Like, here's a target down the mm-hmm. road. It's like, let's try going mm-hmm. to down this path towards that mountain. But it, it's just like an initial destination that you choose and sometimes you can rigidly stick to that destination and get there and that can be awesome and other times you can be like you know what if you're if you're checking in and you're honest with yourself and you're curious um Mm -hmm. if you're checking in and you 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 say you know what this is no longer the destination that i really want to go to and i'm just gonna like kill myself going there and i don't even care about that anymore Mm -hmm. and so (laughs) allowing yourself to be fluid and flow um moment to moment, day by day, month to month, is just constantly checking in with yourself and saying, what, what does my inner wisdom, the thing that you talked about, tell me is best right now? And it's just course adjustment. It's it, new iterations mm. of those goals. And I think, mm. I think there is lots of ways to incorporate goals that would, um, would allow for that course adjustment. So I'm not saying you have to abandon goals, but I actually think it's a really useful exercise and radical curiosity and uncertainty to mm-hmm. let goals go goals go for a little while at least um, mm-hmm. and see what it's like just to go a month without goals um and so challenge yourself to that if you say well, like leo's totally full of it like <laughs> you then you know the answer right and so you shouldn't even be listening to this yeah, podcast yeah, yeah. but if you can admit you don't know the answers to everything like try this out and see what it's like be curious Right, and at the end right. of it, maybe you'll you'll have learned some new things about yourself, about going with the flow of things, about opening each day and setting a new intention and seeing where that leads you. Um, and I think that's actually uh, an incredible use of radical curiosity is just allowing yourself to be more open to what comes up. Mm, so much of that resonates with me. And I feel like maybe one of the reasons that I love Zen Habits, like, a few years ago was because I was so I was also in that very goal obsessed driven kind of mindset. And I think that one of the one of the realizations for me recently has been, like asking the question to what extent does does grasping hold of these specific goals, lack a sense of surprise and the miraculous. And I love this idea of, of uh, now that I've turned 30, I'm like, what intentions um, could I set or, or, or could I set the intention to be living a life that's almost more wondrous? than my current self can conceive in like six months time or like a year's time. And one of the, one of the insights that came to me was through reading, um, through uh, reading the Gita. And I've wrestled with this idea of kind of ambition and success for a while. And there's the, there's a story there where Krishna talks to the kind of protagonist warrior Arjuna 
about um, the idea of ambition and separating ambition into, on the one hand, having these like noble aspirations, which I feel like are maybe these kind of positive goals that you can set yourself, but separating that from the the grasping and from the like attaching yourself um, onto the, onto the outcome, and that has been so interesting for me and like looking at the different intentions that I've set and whenever I do start to grasp hold of something it's usually a sign that there's going to be some kind of like suffering down, down the line quite shortly um I, firstly what, what do you think of that and have you noticed yourself going into kind of like a goal grasping mindset and like how how do you react when that when that pops up yeah, I do it all the time, honestly. I grasp and I attach all the time. And it, yeah, it is, it is absolutely a, um, a good sign for me that, that um, I need to like pause and get curious. Um, yeah, so I don't have like a system or anything like that for noticing, but meditation really helps. And also checking in with myself during the day. Um, Something mm -hmm. I've been doing more often is just noticing what's going on inside of me. So it's just kind of like even closing my eyes, turning inward and just noticing like, am I tense right now? Am I really agitated? Am I frustrated? Am I like, um, am I feeling a lot of uh, groundlessness, a lot of uncertainty? Um, what's going on? And a lot of times I can notice like, oh, I've just got become fixated with something. I just like picked up a book and all of a mm -hmm. sudden like whatever the book like instilled in me, some kind of image that I need to like attain, all of a sudden I've become obsessed mm. with obtaining that image that wasn't even right. in my head, like, you know, before I picked that book up. <laughs> all of a sudden, like, it's like my whole life now, right? Uh, and I've all of a sudden grasped and fixated on that. And so that's like a good, like, oh, I've become fixated on this. Um, yeah, sure. absolutely. It's good to check in with myself and just notice like when that's happening and how that's manifesting in my body and what actions I've been taking, what effects that's having on my life. Sometimes it's actually positive. So like fixating on something for a little while, I can actually move towards something. I, I just opened up a book yesterday. Um, I'll just share it with you called desk bound. Um, people okay. are going to be watching the video, but it's by Dr. Kelly Starrett, who's um, the founder of uh, Mobility Wad, Workout of the Day, Mobility Wad. Anyway, it's all about sitting yeah. and, and standing up in a, a, to a sitting world is the subtitle. <laughs> um, and it's all about, you know, it's basically about our body mechanics and how we're ruining that. And so all of a sudden I've become fixated on like getting the right uh, routine for body mechanics. And mm -hmm. I'm, I'm way off of that right now. It's a long ways to go, but that's a little bit of a fixation right now, just that I've gotten since yesterday, but actually I think it's a helpful fixation right now. As, as I check in with myself, actually it's good to move towards this. Um, so a little bit mm -hmm. of a fixation here is good. If I allowed it to, um, to grasp so tightly that um, it would uh, cause suffering and like also take me off track of my, my work that I'm doing in the world, I think that would be a problem. So just looking and seeing how this is, is showing up in the world. But also I can, as you reminded me um, with, the, with the Gita, I can see, is this more of an intention to try and uh, move my body in a way that's more um, in alignment with health? Is it an intention for, for, for health and love? 
or is it a fixation on the outcome of having this perfect body, perfect health, perfect everything, mm -hmm. right? And I, right. honestly, I don't know what that outcome looks like, and I'm not fixated on that. That I'm not attached to the outcome. I am mm -hmm. a little bit fixated <laughs> on the uh, moving, <laughs> on doing the actions to like find out more, to on walking the path. Sure. So yeah, there's sure. there's sure. definitely a strong intention here, and so just exploring that, I don't I don't really know the best way to move through it, but I feel like it's 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 okay right now, um, and I have yeah. learned to recognize signs when it is becoming more harmful and destructive. Um, it usually when I start beating myself up, that's one good sign um, <laughs> or lashing out at someone else. If like I, if I'm really hard yeah. on other people, uh, judging other yeah. people, that's often a sign that I'm uh, clinging too much in a, in a harmful way. So harm, harm for myself and harm for others, harm for the work that I'm doing in the world. Those are good signs. And then I need to yeah. like, okay, uh, check in with myself and be a little less uh, attached to the outcome. Yeah, well, I, I think that's that's a really um, interesting segue into kind of the last uh, question that I had, which was around, um, you've written some a really interesting post around the case against optimizing your life. And you wrote that such a perfect life would suck, which I, I thought was hilarious. I like I literally laughed out loud when I read that. And kind of this idea that optimizing is a distraction. And to me, when I first read it, it almost feels a little bit counterintuitive, given kind of the story that you just shared about the last you know decade of your life. Um, so could you maybe clarify a little, a little what your insight around life optimization and life hacking was? And, you know, what pushback did you get from people about this, which I, I imagine there probably probably was some. No, you know what? Actually, I thought there would be pushback uh, because I thought people would see. I think I thought people would get defensive about the with what they're doing, um, and maybe they they did and they just didn't um, reach out to me. But the the feedback I've gotten has all been positive. So, yeah, I mean, I, absolutely. I've I've spent a decade of my life um, doing a lot of things around optimization, um, and you mm -hmm. might you might put me in the same category as people like Tim Ferriss and all of the people who've done like, um, you know, the quantum self movement and all of the mm -hmm. self improvement, all of the life optimization um, people. You could mm -hmm. definitely put me in that camp because I've done a lot of the same things and outwardly um, I think it looks a lot like that. Um, and mm -hmm. inwardly sometimes too. <laughs> I'm not trying to like say I'm not <laughs> like that, but I have seen where um, trying to optimize all the time, it's like um, you start to create systems for optimizing your health, yep. your productivity, and everything else about your life, right? And then uh, those systems have to include something that to measure it and some kind of uh, metrics. And it has to have uh, so some kind of reporting. So there's a lot of actually overhead and admin work that goes with it, right? And so you're constantly mm -hmm. looking for the best tools, the best apps, and that becomes actually a huge uh, part of your focus is just focusing on all of the things that are going to actually manage the optimization rather than the optimization mm -hmm. itself, right? And I, like mm -hmm. for my website, for example, when I first started Zen Habits, I was like really wanted to grow my audience. Like that's, that's a great mm -hmm. thing. I want to spread a good message in the world, right? And so how do you do that? So you have to like get some kind of tracker and you have to look at those stats every day and you have to see what you're doing mm -hmm. to optimize growth, right? And mm -hmm. then all of the things that you're doing to optimize growth become the focus rather mm. than trying to spread a good message in the world. Right. And so like, mm. there's a lot of overhead and admin stuff to that. 
And all of a sudden, all of the things to, to grow, all of the activities for growing become what fills my head and the focus of what I'm doing. And my heart now, all of a sudden, because I'm fixated on the outcome and not focused on the intention, my heart all of a sudden is now uh, away from the people that I care about onto the metrics sure. that I care about and all these other things. But yeah, like sure. imagine like you could optimize everything. Like you could optimize your health. Like I could eat the perfect food every single day, right? Okay, so I'm going to eat these greens and, and protein every single day, and that's going to be my optimized health. And I'm going to eat them at exactly the right time so that I can intermittent fast for, you know, 16 hours a day, right? And I'm going to have the perfect setup for my work, and I'm going to have the perfect routine for my work, the perfect meditation that I yeah. do in the morning. And yeah. in fact, I'm going to have everything, like my relationship, I'm going to have, here's my wife time, here's my kid time. <laughs> like I'm, and while I'm there, I'm going to do the exact perfect thing with them, right? All of a sudden, yeah. I'm going to be like a robot, like like walking right. through the light, uh, world, doing everything exactly right. And in fact, I yeah. think that's not optimized. Um, and you could say, well, yeah. then optimization isn't that. It's actually this. And it's like, okay, I'm going to have day A be this, day B be this, be, day C yeah, be yeah, this, yeah. and then it's going to be optimized with variety, right? Um, uh-huh. And I, I think that would be like the most controlled, boring thing possible. Um, yeah. And so, like, what's the alternative? Radical curiosity, to be honest. <laughs> it's like, mm. like, just like, what, how do I walk through the world? Like, of course, I want to uh, be healthy. Of course, I want to uh, be productive. And of course, I want to have good relationships. And I want to do all of these great things. So, uh, well, how do you walk through the world not knowing what's the best way to be productive? Because the best way to be, yeah. be productive today isn't necessarily the best way to be productive tomorrow. And right. honestly, then I can also ask myself, is productive the goal or is that just a tool to get me to the thing that I, I deeply care about? And so then right. like, like all the optimization is actually just a tool for, for something at the end. And what's the something at the end? And that's the thing that I think we need to start to focus more on is that mm-hmm. it's that loving intention that you talked about that the Gita talks about. It's, Actually, the one of the words they use is devotion, like devotion to a god, if you want to put it that way. But really, devotion to something that you care deeply about. Um, I don't know if the, our connection is breaking up, but uh, um, they, so, so it's it's about caring deeply about something, and that cannot be optimized. The thing that mm-hmm. matters the most in the world can't be optimized. And all we can yep. do is pour ourselves into it and ask ourselves, what, what is it like to, to, to go into this thing that, ca- that matters yep. the most, which is really love for ourselves, for others, for the work that we're doing, for the world, for this miracle mm-hmm. that we call life, and just completely being in love with all of it. That can't be optimized. And so, yeah, I really believe that optimization is completely just derailing us from what really matters. I, I abso- absolutely love that. And for me, what, what comes up is is when we have this kind of what we think is this optimal life, it lacks surprise and it lacks gratitude often as well. And for me, um, I've been kind of going through some of this process as well. And 
it just it, it feels like the 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 need to optimize for me kind of comes from a place of fear and it, i think it comes from a place of control and it's like it's almost like afraid of what might happen if i let things come to me or if i open myself up to the conversation it's like it's like having a conversation with the world but you're doing all the talking you're not listening to like what's what's coming back to you um and that is that just it's so so beautiful and that makes so much sense so i'm um i'm conscious of time so just kind of a couple of questions to to wrap up firstly um where can people find you find you online on on patreon and could you just give them a little a very brief bit about the the mission there and and why they should come and and join the fearless training program yeah so you know the website is zenhabits.net uh that's that's the main place and then patreon the program there is called fearless training program and it's on patreon.com slash zenhabits and um the whole thing is that if you're like again, if you're doing a startup, if you're if you're an entrepreneur, if you're um, a creative type of any kind, if you're anyone who's who's putting themselves out there in the world, who's starting up anything, an organization, you are putting yourself into great uncertainty, out of love for something that really means a lot to you. Otherwise, you wouldn't do it. You just do what everyone else does, right? Um, <laughs> And so you're putting yourself into this place. And then what happens in this place of tremendous uncertainty that we've chosen to put ourselves in is our patterns start to come up. Patterns, again, of procrastination, of complaining, of lashing out of people, of trying to control everything, which is the optimization part of it, um, of, uh, yeah, comforting ourselves with all of our distractions and, and unhealthy things. All of these patterns and, and many more come up and they get in the way of us putting ourselves mindfully and joyfully and gratefully in this space of uncertainty and of being in there in joy, which is really what we, what we're looking for. Right. Um, so how then when these patterns come up, do we start to shift them? And so I'm offering a training program for shifting those patterns because I have found it's actually really hard and it's basically the short answer is holding the pose. But I'm starting to mm. figure out what's the, you know, optimal, um, what's the best mm. way to help people to stay in that training of, of holding them, creating a container where we can hold each other because mm. we're all doing it together, hold each other in this space. And you're doing it with, with the, your startup community. You guys have come into a space together where you're holding each other mm. in uncertainty mm -hmm. and curiosity. And that is a powerful thing. Doing it on your own is possible, but again, that's that's the World Cup. You know, that's like okay, <laughs> let's get there after we've done the training together at the earlier stages, right? So, yep. um, and so that's what we're doing together. And I found some things that are working. And as I work with people, uh, again with a with a radical curiosity, honestly, I don't know the the optimal way to do any of this stuff. And so as I'm doing this, actually, all kinds of questions come up for me, questions come up for them, and we're exploring this together in not knowing, in uncertainty, and I'm learning a lot, actually, uh, mm -hmm. and I'm stretching myself as well. This is a whole way for mm -hmm. me to stretch, and everyone in mm -hmm. the program is stretching themselves. Um, it's, mm -hmm. it's a way to, like, okay, well, I'm fearful to be in a program like this with people. I'm a fearful to join a small group. I'm fearful to put myself out there. I'm fearful to get on a call with people. All of these things are when you notice yeah. that there's something that's fearful about you, that's the time to like yeah. go into it, dive into it and hold the pose a little bit. And you're going to stretch <laughs> yourself and you are going to find your patterns and they will come up in ways that you might not like. 
Uh, and that's a beautiful, <laughs> beautiful thing. Um, and so, yeah, this is, this is a group of a hundred and I have like 60 some people who already have committed to uh, putting themselves into this space. And I think it's such an incredible thing that people are doing that. And the answer yeah. is at the end of it, we will have stretched ourselves. We would have shifted some of these patterns and we will be able to put ourselves into this uncertainty with gratitude, mindfulness, and joy, which I absolutely love. Um, so yeah, if you can do that with this kind of training, you'll be able to bring that to all areas of your life. Yeah, it's it's absolutely fantastic. So I've, I've spent some time kind of reading through your posts and the Q&As and the videos, and I think it's just so wonderful what you're doing. And I've really drawn some inspiration from it for from the startup tribe as well. And um, it's it's funny what you were saying about like, um, like feeling fit as, a, as someone leading this as well. I've definitely felt that leading the startup tribe. Like I turned up with this group full of 40 strangers and I was so, so nervous. Like I was really, really quite scared. But I think kind of going into it at some point during the first weekend, seeing their excitement and their eagerness, it almost, the, the fear kind of alchemized into excitement. And it, I realized it's, it's just the same energy. It's just like the story that I'm telling myself about the feeling and the yeah so it's um it's so so great and this is also quite a nice uh or this whole conversation is a nice segue to the the final question that i like to try and wrap up these interviews with which is a a quote from rilke that has been i've just i've thought about a lot and the quote is be patient towards all that is unsolved in your heart and try to love the questions themselves like locked rooms like books that are written in a very foreign tongue live the questions now Perhaps you will then gradually, without noticing it, live along some distant day into the answer. And so with that in mind, what is the question that you're living yourself right now? And what question might you leave our listeners with? That's so good. Um, and I'm feeling uncertainty about choosing one question. <laughs> there's so, so many questions that that um have been coming up for me um mm. so i talked about that magic kind of moment where you are facing like tremendous difficulty uncertainty and discomfort and you really want to shut down so this is a, a lifelong pattern for me is shutting down my heart to the moment, to the person in front of me, to my wife, to my kids, to friends. Mm -hmm. When I hit this spot of resistance, of discomfort, uh, like when I hit my limit, right? And we all have our edge. Um, so I shut down my heart and I don't want to do it anymore. I want to quit. I want to go away. I want to like, like this is stupid, right? So my question then is like at that moment, what is it like to just stay, keep your heart open a little bit longer? Yeah, just keep your heart open. Um, this is about not having the barriers that we have. And you, you're doing it with the startup tribe. You, you go out there and lead in, in the middle of fear and you're keeping your heart open to that. And you haven't shut down to it. And, and there's a way where you could go and be in these meetings and still be shut down. But I, I, knowing what I know about you, I believe you're going there with an open heart and just being open and curious about the people there. And that is keeping your heart open. That's not shutting down. And there will be other places where like it's too much for you and you're going to want to shut down. Like maybe there's going to be someone who comes there and they're triggering you in different ways. Um, we always have people who trigger us in different ways. At that moment, <laughs> like you want to shut down to this person. 
there will always be edges in different areas of our lives. So the question then is, what is it like to keep your heart open for a little longer and not shut down? Mm. That's beautiful. Thank you. Thank you so much. Um, so, yeah, this was a really incredible conversation. Thank you so much for taking your time. And we will wrap the show with that. All right. Thank you. This episode's question for you to ponder is this. How do you feel about the balance between achievement and appreciation? Share any of your thoughts or ideas on Twitter or Instagram with the hashtag Curious Humans Podcast. I hope you enjoyed this conversation. It would mean a lot to me if you could take a few seconds to open up your podcast app and give Curious Humans a shiny five-star rating. This not only helps more people to find it, but it will help me to get more awesome guests in the future. And if you're not already subscribed, then the Curious Humans newsletter is where I share monthly morsels of interestingness and podcast updates. You can sign up for that at johnny.life. That's J-O-N-N-Y dot life. All right. Thanks for listening. And here's a preview of what to expect in the next episode. We believe there's more than one way to do life. And one definition of success is not enough. Too often, the choice posed is what college to pick. The real choice is what life to pick. We find the freedom to choose when we quiet the voices of others' expectations. Learning emerges from curiosity. Education should stoke it, not cure it.